Thank you for leading us in worship. Anyone recognize that guy? What is the meaning of it, Watson? I thought I should maybe try a London mid-19th century accent, but decided to just go with Canadian English on it, okay? What is the meaning of it, Watson? Said Holmes solemnly as he laid down the paper. What object is served by this circle of misery and violence and fear? We must tend to some end, or else our universe is ruled by chance, which is unthinkable. But what end? There is the great standing perennial problem to which human reason is as far from an answer as ever. Now, how, how many of you know who that guy is? How many, how many of you, your hearts are throbbing right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many of you are too shy to put your hand up? Oh, yeah, Martin, Martin. Yeah, I knew it. The new Sherlock. Okay, what is the meaning of it, Watson? Um, and I think, if Holmes doesn't know the answer, do we even stand a chance? And perhaps there's no greater question that we can ask. No question which has haunted humanity more than the question, why are we here? Well, you may not know why you're here this morning, but I want to welcome you here to the final installment of our Biggest Question series. We've been, we've been going through a, a fascinating cluster of topics in this series. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to catch them all, I encourage you to, to find them online on our church website and listen to them. Uh, listen in on the conversation. We've had a lot of discussion, a lot of, a lot of terrific uh, times together. The series was based on questions contributed by the people of this community, by you. We launched our series with a really big question, a really practical question that many have, which is, how can our marriages flourish? And uh, I think it was a stimulating and exciting conversation that we had. We took two full weeks to wrestle through the biggest question that anyone asked. It was the most commonly asked question from this community. It was the question, how do we hear God's voice? And so we took two full weeks uh, to discuss that question. And then last weekend, uh, our discussion really took off with the question, how do I overcome church hurt? And uh, we really opened it up and had quite an extensive uh, conversation together. Today, we're going to wrap things up with perhaps one of the biggest questions of all. Why are we even here? Why do we exist? Now, I realize that when you're washing dishes at home and you're running kids to soccer and you're trying to fix that computer... That might not be the question that's pressing in your mind. You know, other, other things force their way into our minds. The, the questions that come to us on a daily level are more things like, oh shoot, it's 4.30, what are we going to have for supper? Right? Or, you mean that bill was due already? Or the common question in our house recently has been, does anyone know where the dogs are? <laughs> yeah. Some of you who work with Beirut know they, they wander by, say hi, move on. Yeah, perhaps that isn't the meaning, and perhaps the, the meaning of our lives, that question isn't the question we wander around Tim Hortons and ask our friends. It would kind of scare them, right? But it is a question that sits behind much of our daily lives. In fact, the question, why do we exist, pops up the moment we begin to ask, what should I do? How, how should I live? Uh, what's, what's really important in our lives? What is right? What is wrong? It gets even more obvious when we begin to ask the question, what is the purpose of my life? Or, how can I make my life really count? Or, what does the future hold? 
The answer to these questions, and, and I think many more, are rooted in the answer we give to this most important question, which is, why do we exist anyway? Now, depending on where we are at spiritually, we, we, we answer that question in different ways, right? Some of you are just new to faith, newly come to Jesus and understand Jesus' love and, and Jesus' forgiveness. And so you're beginning to grapple with the implications of this, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be created by God. And you're, you're working out the implications and how that influences your life. Many of us here follow Jesus for decades. You've been living out the answer to this question for much of your lives. And for some of you here today, you maybe are just for the first time in your life beginning to ask, why do I exist? What is the purpose of my life? Why was I created in the light of God's answer to that question? And you might be brand new to that. So we're all from different spots, but wherever we're at, wherever we come from, the the answer we give to this question shapes everything that we do. We can't know how we should live and what we should do, where we should go, how we should act, who we should love, what we should hate, who we should worship, if we haven't been able to answer the question why we were created in the first place. Everything we do flows from that answer that we give. Today we're going to explore, of course, we're in church, right? You expected this. We're going to explore the Christian answer to that question. But wherever you're at today, I hope it'll be stimulating for you and challenging for you. I hope, especially if you're new to faith or you're just exploring what it means to be you know, at church or what God might have to say, if you're just new, I, I hope it's stimulating for you and it maybe provides another way of approaching this question in a new light. The question of the meaning of life is, of course, universally human. People have asked it throughout history. They've asked it for a lot of different reasons. They've, as we've said, come to a lot of different answers. But Christians don't ask this question from the standpoint of fear. They don't ask the question from the standpoint of skepticism or hopelessness. We don't even ask the question from, uh, you know, existentialist angst, which maybe some of us experience that, but that's, that's not the basis of this question. Rather, knowing that we're loved by God, the question, why do we exist, comes not out of bewildering confusion, but it comes out of worshipful wonder. And I think that makes all the difference. You see, as Jesus followers, we don't wrestle out the meaning of our lives on our own. We're not left to just reason it out. You know, you figure it out. We know that we need the God who created us to reveal the meaning of our creation, the meaning of our lives. We agree with Sherlock. Human reasoning can't, just can't provide a compelling answer to the meaning of life. But God can. And God does. God revealed it to us through the Bible and He revealed it through us through His Son, Jesus. So with that in mind, we're going to look into a beautiful psalm that's quite familiar uh, with, if you've read the Bible for a bit, it's going to be fairly familiar. It not only asks the, questions, the question kind of why us, but it points us toward the answer of why we exist. We're going to look today at Psalm 8. Psalm 8. And if you have a Bible or you can open it or turn it on, as it were. Um, I'll trust that you're not flipping through Facebook. Uh, you know, hold that, hold that Bible in your hand. And uh, look at Psalm 8, or there's a few extra Bibles in the front of your benches you can look at as well. Here's how it goes, reading from the New Living Translation. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. That's why we started with that song today. Thank you, Mimi. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When we worship, we start to get our stories straight. 
we start to figure out what is really true. Because in worship, we begin to see that there is a God and that this God is great. We begin to understand that there is a God and He's good. And then beyond all of our expectations, we begin to hear the voice of this good God speaking His love and His purposes and His life over us. Worship shapes our identity. Remember, remember in, the, in the early creation story, Genesis 1, 26, um, people created in the image of God. And as people, you and I, created in the image of God, we can't begin to understand who we are as human beings until we know who God is. Because who we are reflects who God is. Our Creator defines us. We don't define Him. Whenever humans have tried to define God, we ended up making something false. We ended up making an idol or an image, bowing down and worshiping something that didn't represent the true God and as a result, didn't represent who we are. Our Creator defines us. We don't define Him. God is our source and we derive our meaning and our purpose only when we are connected to Him, the One who created us. So if you want to know who you are, if you want to know your identity, you begin by coming to know and to love and to worship the God who created you. Because it's in worship that as a Christian or as a Jesus follower, as someone even trying to explore, it's in worship that our why begins to emerge. But, but the why we ask is different now. We don't ask the why of a confused skeptic who's perplexed why we even live. Because that's what a lot of the whys are, right? We ask the why of a confessing worshiper who's amazed that we're even loved. See the difference there? Listen to the singer continue in worship. He asks our biggest question. He says, When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, here it is, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Are any of you stargazers? Anyone love to go out and just look at the stars? Don't be shy. We won't judge you. How many of you aren't really stargazers? But every once in a while, you know, you're stumbling in late and all of a sudden it really catches you by surprise. And you realize, this is why I left Calgary. <laughs> because now I can see the stars, right? <laughs> so you, you see the stars you, and you're struck, right, by the immensity, by the enormity, by God's galactic creation. And here we sit, tiny little specks crawling around on a little rock, circling a certain kind of small little star out here in this little galaxy amongst billions of others. And we can feel pretty small, even insignificant. But this is where everything changes. When we realize that the God who made all this thinks about us, that the God who made all this cares for us, loves us, well, it changes, it changes everything, doesn't it? All of a sudden, we're not feeling so insignificant. It's like, God, you made all this and you care for me? You know what's going on in my life? This is the question of an amazed worshiper. It's the question of someone who's humbled by the fact that the God who created this amazing, intricate, beautiful, stunning, mind-blowing creation also created you. Also created me. And not just, you know, some of the old boys back in the centuries past, the idea that God just wound up the clock and let her go. Not this idea of a God who's so far removed that just sort of got the ball rolling, literally, and then 
went off somewhere and doesn't really care, but rather a God who created us and is involved in our lives, thinks about you, you, and cares for you. It's like you want to look at the stars and go, God, are you serious? Really? You did all this and you're concerned about me? But it's true. And for some of you here today, that's actually what you need to hear. You might be swimming in debt. You might be drowning in sorrow. You might be aching with pain. You might be numb with despair, longing for meaning. I don't know where you're at in life. And you can be here this morning and say, that's a big question. What's the meaning of life? Where do I even begin? Here is where you begin. God loves you. God created you. The same God who created the billions of galaxies out there with all the diversity and the beauty and the complexity, this same God created the billions of cells that made up you and me in all of our diversity and beauty and complexity. This God of the stars and the moons knows what you ate for breakfast. Cares about what you're actually experiencing in life. Knows about the struggles you're having with your kids or the loneliness that you, you experience every day. Knows the kind of stress you're carrying. Knows the worries. Knows, knows the, just the, the bland sense you have from life because you don't really know what to do and where to go. This God who created all of this knows you and loves you passionately. This changes everything. And I think this is why there's really no other response than humility and wonder as we realize, wow, God, wow. Well, what do we know so far? In answer to the question, why do we exist, I think we can say so far, and this is taking in a lot of Scripture, but leading out of Psalm 8, that God created us for a relationship with Him. God created us for a relationship with Him. He made us in His image so that we could commune with Him as free will beings, thinking and loving and responding as God Himself thinks and loves and responds. He made us in His image. And, and that's life-altering. Right there. We could just camp right there. You could just try to begin to explore the implications of that in your life, and I believe it would change so much. But you know what? It goes further than that. Not only were we created for loving relationship with God, we were creating for, created for loving rulership in this world. And that's even more humbling. Let's go back to Psalm 8. So this psalmist asks the, the, the wondering question, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them? And then he goes on, he says, you made them, humans, us, you and me, a little lower than God. He uses the, the name for God there, Elohim. And crowned them with glory and honor. You, you gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. And then he concludes the psalm the same way he started it. You know, it's worship. Oh God, oh Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. In worship, we come to understand that we're loved. And that's amazing. That's deeply humbling. That's life-changing. But in worship, we also come to understand that we've been called by God to play a critical role in His world. That God has created us to take part in, in His purposes, an active part in His purposes. That He's commissioned us to join Him, get this, in the making of history. So in, in response to the question, why do we exist? The psalmist responds and says, we exist because God loves us and He wants to make history with us. Let's wrap our minds around that for a moment. Do you realize what this means? 
God doesn't just care for us. That's wonderful. He also commissions us. God doesn't just think about us. He actually partners with us. That God doesn't just give us life, but He gave us a vocation. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, we've we got we to gotta begin to grapple with what that means for us. God created us to be His loving partners in the making of history. Does this seem a little big for you? Yeah, I think it is, actually. Does it seem, do we seem a little too fragile for this? Yeah, I think so too. Does it strike you as a wild risk on God's part? It is a wild risk. Yeah. It was a wild risk, and uh, frankly, it still is a wild risk. Are you and I even able to do this? Because we've got a problem, right? We know we have a problem. As grand and, and as huge as this Psalm 8 picture is, we all know the sad reality of history. Not just the global history of humanity, but our own history. Our personal lives. God commissions us. And God commissions humanity, but, but we reject His leadership. That's the story of our lives. That's the story of humanity. God gave us a meaning-filled vocation, but instead we opted for a purposeless vacation in the vacate sense of that word. The story of God's creation is not just the story of grand commissions, it's also a story of tragic sin. We know how the story goes, right? Humans did not live up to God's high call. Humans did not seize God's meaning for their lives. Men and women did not embrace this partnership that God desired, but decided to reject God's leadership and attempt to make their own meaning in the world. Early in the story, we cut ourselves off from God's direction. And without God's leadership, we drove each other into the ground. Right? I mean, right off the story of Genesis, the first thing that happens is a brother kills another brother, right? We became destructive, desecrating God's creation and defacing the very human images that God created to reflect His glory. But thank God the story didn't end there, right? Here's your take home. God is no quitter. He didn't give up on His desire for His relationship with us. He didn't give up on His plan to partner with us in the making of history. So what did God do? We were helpless. We, we couldn't do anything about it. We were beyond recovery. We were down there destroying each other. God decided to do something radical, something unbelievable, something so creative that no one could have imagined it or dreamed it, something so amazing and stunning that even the angels were speechless, right? God became a human being. God became one of us. And he did that so that human beings could be restored to their intended glory and their intended calling in creation so that you and I could be restored to the purpose of our lives. Jesus came as one of us, as the true human being, but also the very Son of God. The majestic God of creation became part of His creation and He began to set things right. In Jesus, the breach in our relationship was repaired, restored. And then Jesus made that right response to God that we had to make but were unable to make. Jesus did it on our behalf. And Jesus... In Jesus, our rebellion was dealt with. We were, we were given forgiveness of sins. And then the purpose of our lives, the purpose of each and every human life was made clear in Jesus. Remember Paul's famous words. Jackie read them to us from Ephesians in the second chapter. Remember how it started. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. 
That was the statement of reality for us. We were hopeless. We were helpless. We had this amazing high calling, but we couldn't do it. We couldn't even come close. In fact, we weren't even aware of it. But then, God, because of His great love for us, I'm skipping some of chapter 2 there, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you've been saved. And then that famous starting in verse 8, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, because let's face it, we couldn't do anything about it. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's humbling to know what God has done on our behalf. On our behalf. We couldn't make things right. And then we land in verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, God's masterpieces, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's masterpiece. We are God's magnum opus, the finishing touch of His glorious creation, at least in chapter, in chapter 1 of Genesis. That's how it's depicted. And in Jesus, God makes up for how we've messed up and He recreates us in the images of God that He intended us to be all along, the humans that He intended us to be. In Jesus, it's like God presses the reset button And we get a fresh start as spirit-filled partners with him in the making of history, in the shaping of creation, in the world. As images of God, we were designed to, to love. We were designed to be loved. We were designed to reflect God's love to the world. When we rebelled and lost our way, God stepped in and became one of us. And in Jesus, God made things right so that we could love again, so that we could be loved again. And so that we could live as reflections of His goodness in the world. And Paul says, this was God's plan all along. This is plan A. That we would do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. These advanced good works that he's talking about are really another way of expressing our role in creation. Our role in the world as image bearers of God. Straight out of Psalm 8. Straight out of Genesis 1 and 2. And all through the scripture. This role as His images where we're designed to glorify God by reflecting His goodness and His leadership and His character in all of our relationships in creation. So why do we exist? Quite simply, God created us to receive His love. God created us to respond to His love. And God created us to reflect His love to the world. And this can seem like pretty high-level stuff. I get that. And you can ask, well, how does that apply to my life? I mean... Like, where do I put this on the ground? Because you and I were created for a loving relationship, first off with God, and then with each other, and then with the rest of the world. It changes everything we consider when we consider our lives, what we should do, and how we should live. You want to know why you exist? And I had the opportunity to tell this to someone this week as I sat with them. You exist because God wanted you. You. God wanted you. He wanted to be in relationship with you. You exist because God wants a friendship with you. God wants a relationship with you. You're alive because God wanted to share His love with you. You were created because God actually wanted to live in you, to dwell in you and to work with you and see you grow and and become who you ultimately are, a person who can actually relate to God and each other as God Himself relates. I mean, can you get a better answer than that? But... Maybe you have questions. Maybe we can discuss this for a few moments. It's your turn. We've been ta- we've been, uh, we often discuss here at the church, but, but in the past, 
four weeks, we've tried to open up discussion time and, and really talk about it. And I know this is a little bit more, um, how do you say it? This question is a, a little more up there, I get it, than, you know, how do I deal with church hurt? Or how do I help my marriage? But it's a really foundational question. So I want to ask, how does this shape, knowing that you're created for love and to reflect love, how does that shape your daily lives? How does that shape your understanding of how you should live and what you should do? And so uh, Roger has a microphone. And I'd love to hear your comments. Maybe you have questions, but you probably just have a comment, something, to, something you want to share. And so uh, this is our time to share with each other. If you have a comment, put your hand up so that Roger can see it and, uh, and make a comment for us. How does this impact your daily life? How does this change how you understand your purpose, why you were created? Over to you. I would say, like on a psychological level, it's uh, the uh, attitude of gratitude, and then you you interpret things that come at you in a totally different way if you think that you're a loved person and things are going to turn out well. So, absolutely. Thank you, Martin. Yeah. Oh, Val, over here, Roger. Um, this is an awesome sermon. It's just exactly what God's been speaking to me about this last week, and it was a real reminder that the lessons that he gives us always seem to be the same, only he just twists them a little bit and says, okay, now how do you apply love to this? And you learn that lesson, and you come back to the same spot again, that he loves us, and it's all about how incredible his love for us is, and how are we going to express that so freely to others? And then you go out and you have the next situation, whether it's with your neighbor, whether it's uh, doing something at home, whatever. It's just like, how do I express God's love in this? And it's just the same lesson, and it just keeps going out and out, and it takes a whole lifetime to figure out that in every situation, this principle still applies. And it's just amazing to bring that down to a, the simplest form of, of what God has for us. Thanks, pal. It is easier to spot people from up here. Yeah. Anyone else? Back to where you were. I think it begs the question of stewardship for me. Um, stewardship of, well, the world. Like how do we, if he's put everything under our feet, yeah. what does that really look like? You know, when I interact with my dog, when I interact with his wilderness, when I interact with, you know, the people at work, you know, I'm not that they're under our feet, but, um, you know, as we respond in love towards them, like, yeah, I just, I have a lot of questions surrounding that, that yeah. probably would take a lot longer than mm-hmm. now, but yeah. But you're right, asking the right question, of course, Brooke. I mean, that what are the implications for how we live in and how we bear the responsibilities that we bear, um, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's uh, expressing creativity. One of the a great author, Andy, Andy Crouch, uh, wrote a book, um, something about culture, and now I can't remember the name he called it, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, he said, when you look at Genesis 1 and 2, I mean, the relationality, of course, is central, but he talks about that we're called to be creative cultivators. And not just, I mean, obviously there's a, there's a real earth care element to that. We talk about that fairly frequently around here. But also the sense of culture making and how we, how we then 
um, extend that stewardship, that cultivation to the worlds that we make. And that's in everything from science to literature to art to family life to government to systems, you know, all the way that in those areas we also are, are called to reflect God's loving rulership, God's stewardship, that we are to reflect his, his goodness and his, his kindness and his, his justice and his ways in all of those things that we are creating um, as creative cultivators. And the implications, I think, are staggering. I mean, really, it's a life lived, right? That in community, we ask the question, how do we live this out? What do, how does this impact our, our roles when we're, in, um, when we're in leadership in government, let's say? Or how does this impact our, our family life? How does this impact the way we treat our dogs? You know, it, it touches every area of our lives. That's, of course, what's, what's so central about this question. And how we answer it is that there really is no area of your life, none, that isn't touched by the answer we give to this question. And I think discipleship as Christians is, is, is coming around that question saying, okay, this is who God has created us to be. What does it mean for us to follow Jesus this way? What does it mean for us to do that as a community? How do we, how do we challenge each other? How do we encourage one another in these good, good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do that's the that's the story of discipleship that's our life of discipleship pursuing that so, thank you is there another yeah val it's uh, not just a matter of of why <clears throat> of why we exist i don't think but also of why we exist now hmm. and i think it's important to remember that it's not an accident as to the the when that that we are all here and sometimes I think of that verse from Esther that talks about, for such a time as this, yeah. um, we are here. And to, to figure out, yeah, how our place yeah. meets into current history as well. Brilliant, Val. Thank you for that. That's a, that's, a, that's a great point. In that book I highlighted in the bulletin today, Finding Our Place in the Biblical Story, um, the drama of Scripture, he, he, he and relying on another author, they, they talk about, you know, knowing... Um, you know, who is God and knowing where we're at, where, what the, how the scripture unfolds. Um, but the, the real important question we all have to also ask is, is what time is it? Like, where do we fit into this story? What time is it? And, and, and reflecting on what does it mean for us to be faithful uh, reflectors of God's glory, loving rulers, stewards, 2014. Super important. Dean, how's that? Yeah. Do you think, like, the... Like the the world needs sin and brokenness for this to effectively work out. Like, that's one thing I've always really struggled with. You know, God's our creator. He programmed us. Um, you know, he could he, he, he could take that away without taking away our free will. Like, just a, an example I thought of is, like, you know, some people really, really struggle with drugs, right? There's a huge temptation there where, where me personally, I don't get it. I just, there's not an ounce, so... There's no change in free will between the two, so why doesn't he just change our programming and just make you know yeah. hate or lust or, or any of these sins that certain pe- different yeah. people struggle with? Why doesn't he just take them away, or, or is that part of the whole process? Yeah, thanks, Dean. Wow, I mean that's a very very difficult question for us to get to. I mean, what we see in the story of Scripture is that. I mean, God created us, and I, I believe uh, what we see in Scripture is that God created this world to be under the rulership, the leadership of humanity. And then when humans rejected his authority, God didn't just revoke 
our authority. Didn't just revoke our place, but rather set about a plan to be in relationship with us, to lead us into a place where we could get back to where he had intended us to be. Only through Jesus. And so all these things that apply to us apply first to Jesus. You know, even the language used a little lower and seated on the right hand, all this stuff, it's all part of that, where we recognize that Jesus, by becoming one of us, now a human being has made the right response to God, has dealt with sin, has lived a perfect life. A human being is in the triune God, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Son is God and is human. And in Jesus, we are all caught up into that relationship. Now, that, I know that gets kind of theological, but this is what's going on. And the question of why God wouldn't you have stepped in, you know, the moment they bit into that apple, or why didn't you step in, is a mysterious question that we don't fully have the answer to. What, what seems to be the case, and how I work with it, I'll just tell you what, what I think, is that there is something mysterious about the working out of this relationship. That in the midst of of grace in the midst of judgment, in the midst of, of God stepping in and, and, and making it right. Uh, he's got, uh, he's going to work it out in such a way that I'm, I'm not sure if it'll be um, all the same things he intended, but in the end, I believe it'll be even, even greater. I don't believe that God, obviously, you know this, I don't believe God caused sin, likes sin. Tra- is a tragedy. It's a bro- it's a, his creation and his world and people's lives broken. And I believe that God weeps for that. But the beauty is that God's grace is able to come in and make, is to make beauty out of ugly things, to quote, to quote Bono and uh, Gungor and a few other authors who've, who've seen this reality that, that, that God comes in and breaks the cycle and, and restores creation, restores us back and somehow through the Holy Spirit says, and now we're going to pursue my vision for creation. We're still going to do it together under the leadership of Jesus. We don't have an answer as to you know, why God didn't you just fix this or do that, but we do know that God is committed to taking us to his good future. Um, and somehow in the mix, through the grace of God, he's going to be able to make up for the, the sin and the brokenness that, that we have caused. Um, I do think, and Dean, we could talk more about this, we all could talk more about this, I do think there's something about uh, who he's created us to be that God is not willing to just take away um, some of those, that brokenness. Like God isn't willing to just say, you know, I know you have a problem with, with alcohol or I know you, you have this issue with anger or you have this issue with drugs and I'm just going to take that away from you so you no longer struggle with that. that. There's something in that struggle. There's something in that interplay between God and our dependence. Our, we actually need God to save us. Not just in a I need God to save me, you know, salvation in the big sense, but I need God daily to save me. I need God's work in my life daily. So I'm dependent on Him. If God were to come and remove everything out of our lives that was giving us a hard time, and some of those things are really big, I know that. But if God were to come and simply revoke all those things, it might not take away our free will, but I do think it would change the nature of our relationship. I do think we'd come to a point where we'd say, actually, God, thanks, you know, thank, thank you very much. I, I don't really need you now. But thanks for the ticket, and uh, thanks, for the, thanks for the life. And, and rather, what I think God invites us into is say, how do we live a daily life of dependence on Him, where we, we know that we need Him? And some of us are more aware of that than others, but we all know that we desperately need God and His presence in our lives on a daily level. And this, there's a relationship that's forged in the midst of that. That's not a clear answer, Dean, I apologize. But 
Because that's a, that's a really hard question. Um, that men and women far more capable than I have, I think, wrestled with that. And I'm sure their responses were more adequate than mine off the cuff, but it's a big one. So There's a trust. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. doesn't mean he caused those things. I don't believe that. Uh, but I do believe God is able to use the tragedies and sin and brokenness in our lives to bring glory and goodness. There's a hand up. Brooke, over here, Roger. Oh, John, first. Sorry, I didn't, John. I didn't see you, John. Go ahead. Well, uh, I, I agree with you partially, but uh, we have to realize that we were created. God created us in his image. And he created us, and he told us, just like when you brought up that uh, Adam shouldn't have eaten the apple, he, the, the person you, we take on as, as uh, people, as nations and that, that we know better. Yes. And uh, so then you take away the gift of God that's given you. Because if you're creating his image, you do the things that he's put out in the Bible and in his life. And, and uh, being created in his image, you have the right of right and wrong. And this is what gets people into trouble mm-hmm. because you'll always test. You, you will test, well, it's like telling a child, don't touch that stove, you're going to get burnt. Yeah. But they touch it yeah. and they get burnt. And that's the same as life in, in the world, the nations and people. And we see these uh, other religions in these, in these countries and... Uh, how they take things upon themselves. They forget about God. They, they figure that they know more than what God does. And that is why uh, they have the problems. But if you'd followed him right from day one, we wouldn't have these problems. And it's, I know, like you say, it's almost impossible to, to answer this. Thank you, John. While you're taking the microphone to Brooke, I think that, um, I mean, you're right. We're all created in the image of God. And what we acknowledge as Christians is that Every human being is created in the image of God, whether they know it or not. But they're created for a relationship with God. Uh, the commission, if you want to say, of, of, of the Christian church is to, is to help people understand that, to know that they're loved, to know that Jesus has come, and that they can be recreated as images of God and restored. Because even though we're all created in the image of God, we're, we're walking wounded, we're fractured, we're not able to reflect God, we're not able to relate to God the way he intended us to. But in Jesus, he's made it possible again. And by his spirit, we're growing back into that. Brooke? Um, I appreciate Dean's question. And I just wanted to, I have a comment about that. I think it speaks not just to our relationship with God, as you said. I think it speaks a lot to the character of who God is in being able to say, um, you know, he says the earth or the heavens, the highest heavens are, are for God, but the earth he has given to the sons of man. And so he's taught, and he also says, I will not violate my word. So when he commanded us and gave us stewardship over the ground and over everything, he was, he gave that. And we, it was without strings attached. So when we had the choice to give that over to the adversary and let Satan usurp that authority, that was our choice. And who we choose to give it to is, he's not going to say, step in and say, oh, no, just kidding. Like, I, I wondered if you would mess it up, but, you know. So because he stands on his word and he can swear by no other thing greater than his word and his word was spoken that this is yours 
then he stood behind his word and then created a way for us to come back to God. And I think that speaks to the greatness of the word of God when it talks about how he speaks and that it will not go void and that it will also be like it will be yes and amen, right? Because his words are true. So, and, and that speaks back to Romans too. He says, to whom you submit yourself is to whom you serve. So whoever we choose to give that authority, we still have it. Satan hasn't taken it from us. We choose to give it daily. And when we're dealing with addictions and when we're dealing with the challenges in our life, it's because we choose to give over that authority to Satan daily. And we just need to work on and learn and walk as a, as a body in learning how to reclaim that authority and live fully in that. Because we have it over, he, over illness. We have it over the animals. We have it over things. So it's, it's relearning how to operate in that authority. Thanks, Brooke. Well, thank you for your great comments, discussion, conversation. I hope that the conversation will continue. Thank you, Roger. We'll, uh, we'll wrap up things now. Uh, you know, it's kind of a strange question to ask, uh, how does this apply to your life? Because there is no area that you could possibly name that it doesn't apply to. So the challenge for us, in how does this apply to your life, is really beginning to daily tease out the implications to somehow ask yourself, as Val helpfully put it, how does knowing that I'm loved, knowing that I'm created for God's love, knowing that I'm created to reflect God's love to the world, how does that change the way that I parent? How does that affect the way that I think of my coworker who's extremely irritating? Wait, no, I don't have any coworkers that are extremely irritating, but <laughs> you might. Um, <laughs> How does this affect the way that I, I think about my finances? How does this change the way that I think about um, some of my lifestyle practices? I mean, you just could go on and on. There's, there's nothing that isn't touched by our answer to this question. If you can name it, it applies. Where you're going to go to school, what kind of hobbies you're involved in, the books you read, how you garden, the service that you offer in the community, in this church, it's all connected to that. It's who you are as an image of God created for love and to reflect love. It's who you are expressing itself in everything that you do. You were created to enjoy God's partnership for life. You were created to live. We were created to live as representations of God's good kingdom here on earth. And the impact of this, I think, is, is mind-blowing. It's staggering. Its reach is enormous. That we were created for love and created to reflect love to the world. That is why we exist. It's humbling, it's powerful, and it's true. And I think all we can really say to that is, wow, God. Wow. And then get on with the business, the daily living of reflecting God's goodness to every corner of our globe, to every living room, to every farm, to every street to every area of our lives where men and women and children need to know who they are, loved, created for love, and created to reflect God's love to the world. Let's pray. Jesus, it is um, life-changing to know your love for us. The lengths to which you went to restore us to who we are. We don't do that apart from you, Jesus. We, we come to understand what it means to be images of God in you, Jesus. The perfect image of God. We stand with you. 
We, we live out a life in your name. We follow you. So Jesus, we as a community, as individuals, we submit ourselves to your leadership and ask that you would show us in our own lives, in our family, as a church, you would show us how we can truly live out the reason we were created, the why we exist, how we can live that out in every area of our lives. Our desire is to give you glory and to reflect your goodness. And so we depend on you for that. Holy Spirit, fill us and lead us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.